wait, and wait, and baby, I'm TFC till I It was a beating so bad that we had to wait to run this until Thursday. Welcome to Toronto Till I Die, uh, the Toronto FC Weekly Fan Podcast. Uh, you're with me, Mike Newell, um, also with uh, Michael Singh. And coming off the subs bench in place of Jeffrey <laughs> P. Nesker, we've brought in extra special super sub. Sonia Miso is joining us uh, this week. Sonia, thank you so much uh, for coming in and, and joining this week. No worries, big spot to fill, but thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Eh, not that big. Not <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this this might actually be a slow song. <laughs> um, well, I mean, look, uh, a lot going on in the TFC world uh, over the past uh, week. Obviously, we'll, we'll get into a little bit of the disaster in Montreal this past weekend. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the potential we think should be uh debut of Lorenzo Insigne and Federico Bernadeschi. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the Michael Singh notebook, of course, and we do have your three burning questions uh, this week. But quickly, guys, um, uh, this past weekend, I was sick as a dog. Like, I was, like, super, super sick. Um, I was actually planning to go to Montreal for the game kind of happy i didn't um sat on my couch instead watched it um i know it was well i mean look uh big respects to all the um tfc traveling away supporters um watching on tv you were loud and clear throughout uh the broadcast that was amazing um but how were your weekends hopefully you weren't um coughing and hacking and sneezing like i was i'm gonna say toronto till i die i mean it's toronto till you get a little bit sick well, I mean, it's Toronto to like don't you know pass sure, a, yeah. around a cold, you know, uh, around the around Montreal. Didn't feel like doing that. So now, time as as the times are, you know, you want to stay home if if you are sick. So absolutely, absolutely. How were your weekends? Like, um, yeah, pretty good. Honestly, I, I do this every week. It's what is it? it's like Thursday. I'm already looking forward to the next weekend. Mike, come on. Last weekend, I don't even know what I did. Yeah, I don't even know what I did this week. At some point, you know, gotta go back, remember, you know, makes the good the future times better. Yeah, so no, it yourself. was. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Sonia. You can oh, um, not much. I mean, we watched the game from home, and you know, then went to bed sadly afterwards, but. <laughs> It's we're looking forward to this weekend. Well, let's yeah. let's look at the positive notes or hopefully the positive notes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so in terms of that, let, let's before we go forward, let's unfortunately look back a little bit. Um we talked a bit about it on the tunnel club uh this past week, but I mean look, the one nil lost to Montreal, a one nil that could have been four, five uh nil. Look, it, it was one of those games where it, TFC were never, in my opinion, ever really in it. But, um, you know, you got to kind of give credit to Montreal. They were able to essentially put a foot on the ball and boss the game uh, for, mo- for long stretches. Um, and if it wasn't for Alex Bono um, and Sam Piet not having his shooting boots on, um, I think we would uh, be looking at a heavier uh, scoreline defeat uh this past saturday but love to get your both your thoughts on the match itself and sort of where sort of tfc are going from here uh mike i'll start with you um it went exactly as i expected it to considering that tfc had no designated players in the lineup they didn't have their best midfielder in jonathan osorio who obviously right before or that same day they found out he would have to be in concussion protocol. So you take away the quality of those players and you're going up against a team that was the top half of the Eastern Conference away from home, which TFC have yet to pick up away a win away from home. As you, It went exactly as I expected it to, and I thought uh, they did well to continue to battle and stay within, you know, reaching distance in that game. But yeah, definitely heavily outplayed, but that's that's what I was expecting. 
Yeah, it was it was hard to watch, especially because our last matchup with Montreal kind of gave everybody a little bit of hope. I realize that's under different circumstances, but I mean, personally, I've got I went into that game and sort of every game recently it, with the idea that I rather at this point have a zero zero scoreline than win just to kind of get that sort of clean sheet back onto our books. And so that like, you know, one nothing doesn't seem that big, especially when, you know, we, we have this history with Montreal and we've had interesting score lines with Montreal to, to put it lightly, <laughs> but I just, I think our keepers deserve better. And I'm just, I'm waiting for that clean sheet. And it, it's been hard to watch in that point of view. Um, but yeah, it could have gone a lot worse. Uh, we still made the highlight reel with that Bono save, as you mentioned. And so I think pulling out the positives, I kind of want to look at it as like the bookend of the chapter of Toronto FC before we had this rebuilt and this rebranding, which is, you know, something that we say every season or every like three seasons now, I guess. So let's leave it at that. And, and Saturday is going to look completely different, or at least I hope so. And hope that I'm not eating my words later on. Uh, no, I, I think a lot of people feel the same way you do, Sonny, just in regards to that that sort of, like you said, like bookending of um, kind of like a, an era, era isn't the right word, but, you know, like just a, a period of time where this team has been working with makeshift lineups, makeshift back lines, missing sort of key players um, and missing sort of the, not having the complete picture um, for the team. And I, I know the team is not a complete picture as we look at it right now, but we're starting to see potentially the framework of what we hope to see this team uh, be coming into sort of the end of the season and going into 2023. Just really quickly um, before we sort of jump off uh, of the game this, this weekend, you know, there was a lot of talk around uh, on the tunnel club just in regards to, Bob Bradley's kind of decision-making uh, in, in terms of the game, whether it becomes the substitution patterns and not subbing until the 80, I think the Jacob Schaffenberg came in like the 82nd. Yeah. 87, like really late into the game. Um, or just the, the, the fact, you know, on the goal, didn't the build up to Montreal's goal, all of a sudden deciding to play it out of the back. Um, you know, what were you sort of feelings on not Bob Bradley as an overall manager? I think we're all, agreed that he is the, going to be the manager going forward and, and things like that, but more just his decision-making in those particular um, moments. Do you just feel like it was kind of one of those things that was going to probably happen anyway, or more of a, do we have something to actually question um, Bob about? Cause I know that's been brought up a lot in sort of the, the TFC live community. Yeah. For me, there's, there's two sides of this. There's the one side is you look at the bench and you're like, like, who does he really have on that bench that's going to make a difference in the game? But the second part of me was, and this is something I observed in the first half, was when you're conceding possession as easily as you are and you're playing mostly on the back foot, does it really benefit you to play with two strikers who are not the quickest and aren't that great off the counterattack. For me, I was thinking the whole time that I would love to see Jacob Schaffelberg inserted into the game because of his pace and his ability to kind of get in behind and stretch a defense. Neither Jesus or Io is really capable of stretching a defense when you're not playing with the ball, with possession. And I noticed that early on, and I was wondering, and I'm still kind of wondering what the benefit of having both of those guys on in the game at the same time is. Is it the fact that both of them are prolific goal scorers and are able to get you guys back into the game at any given point? Uh, maybe off a set piece because they're both bigger guys. Like, it was that the reasoning where they get to hold up play? I, I don't have the answer to that. For me, I would prefer to see Jacob Schaffelberg come into the game earlier so that he can give TFC an option off the counterattack. That was my only, um, I guess, gripe. But at the same time, I look at the bench and I'm like, Oh, okay, like you're not really work with much either. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I think for Bob Bradley, it's you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Uh, I realize that's kind of the case for every coach, but I think especially for him with Toronto that he tries different things and people critique them. 
he doesn't try different things and people critique them. And I think everyone's just at a point where he, as you mentioned, Michael, you only have so much to work with. Um, he has only so many players who have been working together for a long time as well. So knowing style of play, I mean, he's a coach that took off Michael Bradley, which is something that we never seen a coach do by never seen a coach do never saw Danny do. Right. And so he is trying to mix it up, but at the same time, if you only have a limit number of exactly, like if you only have a limit number of people to be able to put out people who consistently play together as well. There's only so much that you can do. I think, you know, what he's trying to work for is sort of that August window of, all right, now that we have a healthy bench, now that we have these new players, now that we have somebody in actual leadership who have led teams before, we're sort of a multi-crew right now. You know, we do have Michael Bradley who has been, you know, the captain, both actual captain and, you know, captain of the ship. But other than that, what sort of overall leadership that can kind of take this this multi-crew of players and put them all together and sort of get the best out of them? We need a little bit more consistency on the field and we need a little bit more communication on the field in the sense of everybody kind of is working together for that common goal with people that they can look to and work with. But Schaffelberg, for example, right? Who do you personally see as his mentor on the pitch right now and I, I don't know if he necessarily has one especially in the game on on Saturday yeah that, that's interesting point about Schaffelberg and and specific and a lot of people pointed to him specifically um in their comments because they felt he could have made a difference maybe early on um especially because I think Luca Petrasso um was struggling a little bit in that first half playing on that left side with Crescito I think, um, you know, Michael, to your point in regards to having two strikers, I agree. I thought in the first half, you know, I'm looking at it. I'm looking like two strikers that kind of aren't really great right now at holding the ball up. So I don't really see the point of that. And I know Jimenez can play out in the wing. He has done that in his career. But is that the most effective way to use him right now? I felt like you could use one um, and sort of sit the other and bring them in sort of for each other when you need to make a substitution. But, uh, you know, I agree. I feel like Jacob Schaffelberg has gone these last almost two seasons now without that mentor that you're talking about, Sonia. And, and maybe that is going to be an insignia. Now, obviously, there's rumors that he's in trade talks or you know, whether that is true or not. Um, that will be interesting to see. Um, but sort of segueing into this first segment, just talking about, you know, the big guns are kind of here now, right? Uh, you know, in Insigne and Bernadeschi being introduced uh, early this week and looks like he's set to play on Saturday. Um, you know, they are in training in here now. So what should fans, I think, expect from both players? Maybe you could talk about a skill perspective. We know they're very good footballers, obviously. Um, but maybe maybe talk a little bit about what they can bring those intangibles to a locker room, to a culture. What do you think they're going to uh, bring to uh bring to the team. Uh, Sonia, I'll start with you. Sure. I mean, I mean, it's no secret. I've watched Syria religiously. I've, I've watched both these guys play, you know, pretty much every weekend. Um, I, it's interesting. So I don't know how, how deep you want me to get into this. Cause I have a go, lot of go. Deep dive. Dive <laughs> So in. coming from Napoli, Napoli is this team that, you know, has always been the bridesmaid to Juventus ride for the last few seasons when they managed to be able to in Syria in general when Juventus finally slipped off of that spot you know Inter came in and, and, and they swooped in and grabbed it and Napoli has always had this potential they've always been a really fun team because they have a lot of characters so even you know thinking back about 10 11 years ago now um when they had Higuin right like who's now in MLS as well. It's always been this sort of fun style of play that has not been seen in Italy in the same sort of, um, in the same sort of stance as the other teams. You know, they're a very attacking team. They're really fun to watch. They have a lot of energy. They're very colorful. It's a great team to watch. And I think coming here is going to be a bit of a cultural shift for Insigne because he was such an integral part of that Napoli team. And I don't just mean on 
as a team member. I mean, the way that he would talk to fans, the way that he would kind of be this this conduit between the club and the supporters, uh, the way that he is, you know, the homegrown boy. He is Napoli sonified. And I think coming here, a let alone like the style of play or anything like that, like that is completely different. I think that we are embracing him now, but the way that we have have put him on this high horse may be an unreal expectation because when you've played on the same team, and I realize he's been loaned out when he was a lot younger, but when you've played in the same team in the same part of the country, the same style for so long, you cannot just transition that, especially in a North American style right away. Um, so I think it's going to take him a little bit of time to sort of get his, his feet out. Saying that, I also said twice very publicly that Javinka would be the worst signing in Toronto. Of <laughs> I, so, that. I, I think I said something similar. To- <laughs> who knows what I'm talking about? But um, I think Rodeski is, is, is going to adapt a lot quicker. Uh, they're obviously playing different roles. They have different sort of um, expectations, both I think at the club level, at a fan level. Um, I think they both come from um, two different viewpoints of the field. I think Zinier is going to be a much more serious player. Uh, I think he's going to take things a lot more seriously. And and that's nothing against Brandeski. I think he just doesn't have the same amount of pressure on him. And I don't think he had the same amount of pressure on him at Juventus either. But on a positive note, um, after I just rambled on for 10 minutes, on a positive note, positive being uh, maybe not the right word, they don't have a World Cup this year. They don't have that pressure of of thinking towards December. They don't have that same sort of um, looking at something bigger. They can actually focus on this season. They can focus on finding roots here. They can focus on how they're going to play. Obviously, they don't have the whole season to kind of figure everything out. They have a very, what, it's like one third left of the season. Yes, 13 games yeah. or something like that. Yeah, so they have to do a lot in a very short amount of time. Uh, we've seen too with Bale and uh, Cleany too, what have they said about coming to MLS? They both have publicly said like, this is not what we were expecting, not necessarily in a bad way, but there are differences uh, complaining about like the heat and things like that. So I think there is going to be a lot of growing pains. I don't think that they're going to come in and just completely turn this team around. I hope I'm wrong. 100% like call me out if I'm wrong, but I, I just, I'm worried about putting too many eggs in, the, in our basket right now. I don't think that all of a sudden we're going to make a playoff spot or look like we are going to make a playoff spot. Okay. Um, we'll come to that because there's there's some there's some well no just there's, there's some there's some stuff here in terms of burning questions that people have been asking um, <laughs> that that sort of relate to that. So um, I'm going to come I'm going to hold that and come back to you on sure. that. Uh, but Mike, I'd love to get your thoughts because obviously you've been to both press conferences for both players that they've been introduced. Um, you've been to training and, and seen them in training. Um, so far, what do you think they're going to be able to bring to to the squad, both from a playing perspective and skill perspective, but also from maybe a leadership perspective, which I think they're going to be leaned on uh, for that. For sure. And I think the biggest thing is they bring belief with both of those guys and belief within the locker room. It's, you know, going through the 2021 season, obviously you had you know, the troubles with the pandemic and there are a lot of different things that were adding up, a coaching change, of course. There was never really a light at the end of the tunnel that these guys were kind of looking towards. Like, there was no reason why this team in 2021 was going to drastically improve or get better. But in, in 2022, we knew Insigne was coming from the jump. It was easier for a guy like Jonathan Osorio, who, you know, at the end of his season, he, he really said that, that the year took a toll on him. Um, playing with Toronto FC, and he couldn't wait to get to, you know, Canadian men's national team games because you know, the environment and everything like that. 2022 has been a lot different because of these guys and sort of the allure that they bring. They, Of course, they bring a wealth of experience. And I'll, I'll turn to this quote, actually, I just found from um, from Alex Bono who's one of the, the, I guess, best-spoken people, <laughs> not just athletes, that I've, I've been around. So Alex Bono says here, it's a big deal for the club, obviously, and this is him talking about Insigne and Crescito. It's actually before Bernadeschi, but he says, it's a big deal for the club, obviously, a big deal for the community and, and the fans. They enter the locker room, 
He's there on game day. They both came in after the game on Wednesday. You feel like you're in the presence of guys who have a lot of experience, a lot of personality, a lot to share with the group. For me, that's the most exciting part. For the young guys especially, and for all of us to be able to take pieces of what we can from their experiences and what they can help and assist us with, as well as enjoying being on the field with two great players, with two incredible resumes, and two incredible profiles. So that's exciting for me. It's exciting for the group. So definitely their presence has been felt and will continue to be felt as they work into the group and try and find full fitness for us. That's kind of what Bob Bradley was sort of echoing as well when I asked him, I guess, if expectations are raised now that Insigne is joining the team. And essentially what he said is he spun it off in, in a elegant way, as Bob Bradley usually does. And he, he said what he's really looking forward to is how they're going to rub, rub off on the rest of the team. He thinks that just adding them to training sessions every day is going to improve the team because they, they see the game differently and they think the game differently. Now, when you're looking at Jaden Nelson, who who's he been learning off as a left winger the past two seasons? The only one was really Jefferson Sotel, though, which, as we can kind of <laughs> not realize, not really the best, best role model, point. right? I like both there of our reactions to that. <laughs> <laughs> there hasn't been a great role model at the club for Jaden Nelson. Now he's going to sit there and watch Lorenzo Insigne and how he plays the left wing. Now what does he see? Hey, maybe I can do those things. So, hey, yeah, like... That part is that part's probably most exciting for me is how he, they're going to lift the rest of the group around them, and like I said, the belief too is is exciting not just for within the dressing room but also as fans. Hey, this is what we've been waiting for. This is what TFC fans have been waiting for. I mean, fans are still going crazy about whether or not they're going to be there on Saturday because that's what's drawing people into the seats, and that's also another aspect of this whole thing is the the excitement and the buzz around the fans. Bill Manning said that there hasn't been this much excitement around TFC since he's been here. That's where, that's where we're back at with, with this club. Can I tell a quick personal story about a Go for game it. I went to a few days ago? Uh, so I'm in 113, youth sector, supporter section. Um, and these two guys came in, whenever Insignia's first game was supposed to be, so like, what, three weeks ago, four weeks July ago? 9th. Yeah, the ninth, yeah. yeah. Came in with his jerseys, and I was there with my dad, who is quite the colorful character. So he tapped them on the back and asked if he were if they were big fans. And they said, no, this is the first game they've ever been to. And I said, oh, are you Napoli fans then? And they said, well, uh, we're Italian fans, so kind of makes us Napoli fans. And I thought, this is incredible. Like, you're buying supporter sections. They had never been to a TFC game before. They have bought jerseys just you know, on a whim, having never really watched. Uh, they're not, you know, Syria fans necessarily. I mean, they're Italy fans, whatever. And they're coming to these games. This, like, I don't know, other than maybe the first, second season, if TFC have had this sort of, as Bill Manning said, this excitement around them. Yes, there was a little bit with Javinko, but I think those were people who were more, you know, soccer fans kind of in the know. Um, but now you're getting average fans average fans mm-hmm. who are not only willing to come to a game but willing to spend you know 140 bucks on a jersey which i don't think the average fan is going to do so the excitement around the game i think is going beyond just what we kind of see in our toronto fc bubble i mean i remember there was a time where i couldn't give away tickets i could i would like have to bribe people to come with me saying that i would pay for the beer all night and now random people off the street who have a mild interest of soccer know that there's something special. And I think that's the key, that people who aren't reading, you know, every article, who aren't on forums, who aren't talking on Twitter, they know that there's something special. And I don't think we've ever seen that in the same sort of way. And that's interesting you bring that up because I I feel that too, but I still have to bring my, I am on those forums and I am reading those Twitter things and I almost am following this team on a game by game basis. And we all know this team is not good right now from a from a <laughs> playing perspective, right? They're not. It, and I guess the, the question is, and you kind of brought this up, Sonia, this is why I wanted to come back to this, but this sort of hype versus realistic expectation of what these guys can bring for the remainder of this season. I think us in the know, and probably a lot of people who are listening and watching this pod right now, um, realize that with 13 games left, it's going to be, they're going to need an almighty run here 
to maybe get the final playoff spot. So it's going to be tough. But I think a lot of those casual fans are going to come in and think, well, these guys should be just blowing people away. You've got Bernadeschi and you've got Insigne. Like they sh- right? It may not exactly work out that way, um, at least at the beginning. So I guess, you know, will it be, you know, will it be fair and will uh, basically are we going to be able to have enough patience with them to let them bet into the team, to let them get used to MLS play, um, you know, before we the sort of the crowd starts thinking, well, what are we paying for here? Right. Because I think there's going to be this sort of, you know, from some corners, not everybody, but a bit of an expectation of, well, like, OK, let's the run starts here. All right. Playoffs. Let's go. When, in fact, there's still a lot of holes on this team that have not been addressed um, that may make a run like that pretty difficult for the remainder of the season. Yeah, I think that's a important point. I think we have to think, and obviously there is that sort of division, and and this isn't gatekeeping or anything like that. It's just the reality of Toronto FC fans versus your casual fan. I think Toronto FC fans, we're starting at zero. This is a clean slate, whereas I think the average fan is like, oh, we're starting at 80, 90%. Um, I've heard somebody kind of talk about them like when the Raptors got Kawhi Leonard, right? And it's like, we have this great player now. It's going to turn everything around. Well, I mean, with the Raptors, obviously he was here for a full season, but you had those other pieces already in place, right? You had a team that that was already in the right mindset. Toronto FC, their, their confidence is at an all-time low. Like, I think even worse than, you know, the 27 or 2008 to like, Javinko years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the confidence is at a low because they have tasted that success and they are just at the bottom that they could possibly be, right? And I think the the player that is going to be most affected by this, and I think that player will then transform the whole team, is not to go back to him, but Michael Bradley, right? He's a player who's played in Italy. He's a player who has seen this mentality. He's a player who loved playing in Italy. If you watch some of his old interviews, like he was a happy cat being there. Like he loved it. Fluent Italian. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, So I think if they can start turning his mentality around, that's going to filter down to the rest of the team. I think right now the team is a little bit starstruck, which is fine. Like we have a lot of young kids and and the world-class players are coming here. Totally understandable. But I think on a more tactical level, on a more, on a less superficial level, that if, we can reinstill that confidence in Michael Bradley, that team is going to turn around. I don't think it's going to happen by the end of the season. I think they're going to hit the ground running. I, I do. Really? Okay. I do. Okay. Oh, I'm, Go I'm for it. Go for that. it, man. Go yeah. for it. I think that these players at this age are so far ahead of the rest of the league talent-wise. Um. And they're not just coming by themselves. Like all three of them, the hope is that they're going to be on the pitch at the same time. And then you, you look at the addition of well, as well as Mark Anthony K. And you know, you it's, this isn't the same team we saw on Saturday. Completely different. Jonathan Osorio transforms that midfield. If Osorio is in the lineup, Insigne is in the lineup, Bernadeschi is in the lineup, Jesus Jimenez is in the lineup, Crescito is in the lineup. All of a sudden, you're looking at a team now that takes a lot of pressure off the next player. You mentioned Michael Bradley there. Michael Bradley has been asked to do a lot, a lot this year through the first part of this year. He's been asked to carry so many young kids. He's been asked to do so much work in the middle of the park. But you add Insigne and Bernadeschi into that lineup, and all of a sudden, those guys can keep the ball a little bit easier. You're not giving it to a DeAndre Kerr or a Jaden Nelson, who, while they're, I, I believe, have really bright futures, they also struggle to keep possession. That's true. Insigne is one of the best in the world, I'd say, at keeping possession in tight areas and tight spaces. And I think that'll just take some pressure off a lot of a lot of players with TFC. So I do think they're going to hit the ground running. Are they going to go on and win MLS Cup? No. Are they going to win every game the rest of the season? Probably not. But I do believe that these guys are going to come as advertised with Toronto FC. Perfect. Okay, then. So, I mean, look, I I, I look at it as a a situation of, I think the two players can only help you both from obviously an attacking perspective, but also from a 
potentially from a defensive perspective. Um, this was brought up by the Tunnel Club in terms of just you know, teams have to respect those players, right? And you don't, you can't just press like other teams have been pressing on TFC just because of the threat of one of those two breaking free on the wing um, and creating something. So it may actually take a little pressure off the team defensively as well oh. as added a dimension in, in attack. Right. Yeah, and I, I, think that's, I think that's, that's such point. a, I think that's such a big point. And I, like we, we were talking about the Italians, of course, but I also would group Mark Anthony K into that mix as well as a guy who loves to do a lot of dirty work in the center of the park. He's, he struggled a little bit in my opinion, his first couple of games. And I thought he really got exposed without Azorio uh, on Saturday, but with Ozo in that lineup in the midfield, I think Mark Anthony K can focus a little bit more uh, on what he does best, which in my opinion is kind of a hybrid of a, of a destroyer a little bit, which will help the team defensively. And of course, as you mentioned there, Mike, Insignia keeping the ball, his his threat moving forward, and Bernadeschi, they're going to take some pressure off the defense as well. So yeah, yeah. We when we and Rob Badley talks about this all the time. When we stress about the clean sheets and team conceding goals, it's easy to point fingers at the back line and be like, okay, that's the problem. But it's a team game, it's a team sport, and there's so many different things that affect that. So yeah, it's. It's going to be exciting, and I hope that I'm. I hope that I'm right, man. Okay, so here's a question for you: Saturday's match coming up against Charlotte at home. How important is this? Like, I, for a team that's second bottom in the Eastern Conference, this feels like this incredibly important game. Um, even though realistically, from a standings perspective, doesn't mean that much, kind of. Um, but how important is it for this team to get off on a, a good note with potentially both players either starting or making some appearance at some point uh, during the game? For me, it depends which lens we're looking at this through. Is fits for this season? And yeah, it's it's incredibly important, not only to pick up the points on the table, but also to reinstill that belief within the, the team and also the fan base. I think that that part's huge. But realistically, like both of these guys, Insigne and Bernadeschi, even Mark Anthony K, they're they're signed through twenty twenty six. Anything that for me that happens this season is a consolation. It's going to be icing on the cake. This is about twenty twenty three for me. These signings and getting the core in place, but at the same time. Yeah, you know, some people might look at this as, you know, you only get one first impression to make. And we look at what Pozuelo did. And I'll say this again, Pozuelo in his debut is what eased the fan base away from Sebastian Javinko. He's what helped transition that fan base. In a similar light where we're turning the page here on a new era, a new chapter, and they've got high expectations to live up to. And they'll, they'll get a glimpse of that, I guess, on Saturday, and we'll see how they do. Yeah, to echo that, I don't think they could do badly. Like, I, I think it would take a lot if it was a complete disaster, right? Like, I don't think Charlotte's necessarily going to outperform us or, you know, it's it's going to be a disaster. They are, at they're home. actually a pretty decent side this year. But I just mean in general. Like, I don't yeah. think it's going to be, like, a complete blowout or, or a game that we've we've seen before. I think, again, it, it's... It's setting your expectation as a fan and what kind of fan you are. If if you're going to to watch, you know, world class football on a Saturday, you probably won't get that. You might see, you know, highlights or like a couple of of fun things that you know will clap and cheer. And I, I'm sure they'll both get standing ovations. Like I, I don't doubt that. At the same time, though, if we don't concede past the 80th minute, to me that's a win, right? And I and I think <laughs> and I think that's where we have to sort of like think about where we're coming from. Um, yeah. I don't think it's going to be a disaster. I don't think it's going to be a disappointment, but I don't think it's, we're going to come out and like stomp 10 mil, right? Like it's, it's, I think of this almost more of an exhibition game of like, we're going to show you what we have in store for the future. This game doesn't necessarily count. This isn't what's going to set the, this is what's going to set the pace. This isn't going to be our do or die moment. And I think that Toronto has just had such a lackluster season for better, like for lack of a better word, that, 
just the idea of of the pageantry on the field is is going to is is going to appease fans and no one does pageantry better than the Italians, to be completely honest. It's going to be a fun game. Um, I think no matter what the scoreline is, it's going to be a fun game. I'm looking forward to it, but I'm not going to be like, well, this is how it's going to look in six weeks from now. Fair. Uh, and uh, you say that the Italians do pageantry. TFC does pageantry. It, it knows how to do pageantry. Um, it almost feels like Saturday. People are just going to forget that this team is second bottom in the Eastern Conference, um, which is crazy uh, to me. But that's kind of where we're at uh, right now. Um, and also, it's it's funny, Mike, you mentioned Pozuelo's debut. I feel like that's ruined DP debuts going forward because everybody <laughs> thinks that's how a DP walks into Toronto FC and is going to perform. They're just going to Panenka a goalkeeper, and then they're going to chip one from the top of the 18. And, you know, that's how all DPs start, right? Um, I feel like that's, <laughs> that's, that's what people are going to be walking in on and thinking that's what uh, Bernadeschi is going to provide. Um, but... Look, no matter which lens you're looking at it, to me, I look at it from a fan confidence lens, right? If you can go and put in a great performance where your DPs come out and play like DPs, and I'm, again, I'm not talking about a Pizuelo debut performance either, um, but you put up a solid performance, um, I think you start to win fans back, at least those who are kind of like, well, what the hell is this team doing, right? And I think there's a lot of people out there that feel that way because they, they just so much change has happened over the past two seasons that uh, I, I think that if you can get this game and maybe the next couple on a decent note, then you start to get people to see the, the overall big picture, um, which okay. in TFC fan TFC land is hard to do because we're so into the day by day game by game uh, sort of lens that we've kind of, it's hard to step back and look at the big picture of things. Yeah. I think that's well said. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, we'll transition here uh, into the Michael Singh notebook. Um, we like to do this weekly um, and uh, and get sort of what's what's happening on the inner workings at BMO Training Ground. Um, so, Mike, you were at the Bernadeschi uh, presser. I was supposed to be there, but again, aforementioned, uh, sick and snotty. Nobody wanted to see that. Don't want to get a DP sick. I don't even want to hear about that. that. Yeah. The baby stopped me from going, so... yeah. So like, totally there's no it. point, uh, you know, no, I don't want to be the guy who's like, and you're reporting like, yo, Bernadette, she got sick. And I was like, I'm here. I'm like, sorry. Um, but uh, overall, I mean, I watched it. Um, and I think everybody probably was listening to this watch as well. The vibes were, it's just the hearts were out to here, man. Like people have fallen in love with this guy already. Um, you know, what, what sort of you get out of the presser and, and sort of your impressions of him and sort of, how he's relating to the fan base. Yeah, I, I think you kind of hinted at it there. It's he has that personality. I think that's gonna attract a lot of a lot of fans. He he comes off as a really genuine, happy person who wants to be at Toronto FC. And I think that's the biggest thing I kind of got out of it is that he genuinely was happy to be here. He was willing to answer a lot of the questions in English, even though his English wasn't the best. But even when he was messing up, I think the fan base could kind of appreciate that he was giving the effort or trying to, you know, connect with the fan base, who's making a genuine attempt. He Afterwards, we got to, to also chat with him and, and do a scrum with him. And same thing, like every answer he was giving was, it didn't come across as too... You know, like during press conferences, there's standard answers that everyone can kind of give. He had a few of those, but there was a lot of it was, you know, I, I can see what you're trying to say and I can see what you're coming from and it, it doesn't sound uh, disingenuous. So, yeah, I, I think that's the biggest compliment I can give him personality-wise. I think he's going to be a guy, as I mentioned, that fans are going to love because of that personality. He's obviously, insignia's a little bit more reserved than Bernadeschi, um, but at the same time, I think Insigne is still the face of this franchise, but Bernadeschi might be in the spotlight a little bit more. Just like being in the spotlight a little bit more, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about that because I felt like, though Insigne coming to town was a big deal, I felt like there was a little bit of, I don't see disconnection from the fans. I think he's, he's a, I'm sure he's a pretty great guy and he's going to have his opportunity to connect um, with the fan base a bit more. But I felt like there was there was more of a, 
an immediate connection with Bernadeschi than, than there was with Insigne. And that might just be the nature of how they arrived in the circumstances and things like that. But I was, I was going to ask you, like, did you feel like that there was this sort of dichotomy between the two in terms of how they were introduced to, to TFC land? Yeah, I think two reasons why. Um, at Insigne's presser, there was a small select group of fans, maybe 10, 15, that were allowed in the presser. Um, you obviously have the language barrier. Insigne doesn't really speak a word of English except for all for one, as we all know. Um, but he doesn't speak English very well, and he didn't take the time really afterwards to go embrace the fans. Whereas Bernadeschi um, speaks a little bit of English. I think fans could really understand him. And then obviously at the press conference, there was the supporter groups that were allowed to, to show up to real sports. And, you know, the the, TF, the drum was there and the, everyone was chanting. Bernadeschi felt that energy where at Insigne's press conference, it was a little bit different. So maybe it's part of it's also due to their personality. And I feel like Bernadeschi might've embraced that aspect of it more as opposed to, Maybe Insignia, as I mentioned, would have been more reserved. But yeah, you're bang on by saying there was there was that impression you got, Mike, because I got the same thing. Awesome. Um, it, it, now that we kind of have the two big DP pieces in, as you know, there's the inevitable, what are we doing with the third spot? Um, you know, obviously, without giving too much away, um, go read his stuff on the parlay. You're not getting all the free stuff. But, um, but like, do you have a sense maybe of what direction TFC might go with, with that third DP spot? I mean, in terms of either filling it now or waiting till January, what do you, what do you think the vibe is in terms of that, that third spot? They're, they're going to wait till the, till the winter and unless something miraculous happens over these next two weeks. Bill Manning came out and all but confirmed that at the press conference when he was asked about the DP slots. And I think personally, it's the right move because us here, we're talking about Toronto FC and how there's never been more buzz or excitement around the club, perhaps maybe since bloody big deal, maybe even ever. Um, but so why go out and get another piece this summer? Why not let this summer play out, the season play out, take your time, find out what position you actually want to address, and then make another splash and reignite that fan base that was so excited from the summer. That's the way that I'm kind of looking at it. Um, I don't know if this team wants to go out and invest in another DP defender. I don't think a striker is completely ruled out of the question, even though they've already invested in two other DP um, attackers. I personally, I think I've mentioned this on this show in the past, I think you have to go out and and get a DP central midfielder because Michael Bradley is obviously getting up there in age. And who knows what the future of Jonathan Osorio holds. And I think a central midfielder can impact the game in MLS a lot more than a DP defender, in my opinion. I don't know if the club is thinking along those same lines, but that's just that's just my line of thought here. Uh, everybody who follows me on Twitter know I'm an N'Golo Conte stan, and I'm just saying he's out of contract. <laughs> just saying, 2023, he's out of contract. Just you know, put that up in the I've world. Been, I've been doing the same with Balotelli for ages, and yeah. no one's listening to me. <laughs> I swear to God, if they, if they ever sign Bala, like I'm just going to live at BMO. <laughs> and I know no one agrees with me on that this. That shirt's going to change. You're going to have 100%. a 100%. Uh, I actually, I have a Balo's back Milan scarf. I, I saw them play when he came back the second time in Milan and like still one of the best games in my life. Awesome. But um, yeah, I, I know no one agrees with me. So you can you can hold off your comments. Don't at me, but follow <laughs> till I die. Well, Sonia, I was about to ask you, like in terms of, you know, that DP spot, like where ideally on a pitch would you want to see TFC sort of invest that? Because like to me, it's it's a central, a six, really. To me, it, it, I think it needs to be a six. Um, but, you know, an eight's fine too, but I think you've got that in Mark Anthony K kind of, and, you know, depends on 
what happens with Osorio in the off season, but where ideally would you want that sort of DP spot going? Personally, and I realize that my philosophy is very different than most North Americans, especially in MLS, but to me, your most important position on the field is your center back. I know no one agrees with that. It's okay. Don't worry. I, I get it. But to me, that is your backbone. That is that is where you want the most important player to be, both in a defensive line and also to kind of get that ball moving forward as well. Um, I don't think MLS necessarily looks at their back line as, as maybe Italy does, for example. Um, I don't think we put it enough importance on it. Uh, I do have a question, though, and I, I don't know if either one of you can answer it or if somebody in the comments can answer it. Has there ever been a goalkeeper DP in MLS history? Or in DP history, I should say. Mm, I don't think so. No, There has. Okay. I, I, I'm yeah. not sure the name right now. I, I know there has. Because I was oh, did they, the same did, thing did a little Atlanta while ago. Brad, no, they didn't make Guzana a DP in Atlanta. Tim Howard? Oh, that's right. Howard. He did. Tim Howard. Yeah, okay, in Colorado. Tim yeah, Howard. It's to me, like, that's not a bad shout either. Like, investing, even just sort of psychologically being like, we are putting our money in defense. We are stopping goals. I know there's a philosophy around, like, the one thing you're supposed to do in, in football is put the ball in the back of the net. But you also want to stop the other team from putting the ball in the back of the net. I don't think we should sign a goalkeeper as a DP. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that I find it really interesting, especially from, you know, my upbringing, my watching, the leaks I watch how that back line isn't more important or isn't considered, you know, your, your first line of defense for, I realize how, how ironic that is, but yeah, I, I would put all of my money in the back and then not all my money. I'd put some of that money in the back and then I wouldn't necessarily worry too much about the strikers because you could score a million goals, but if you let in a million and one at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Well, it, it, it and I've said this on the podcast before, in a, a lot of ways, this season kind of felt like the 2015 season without maybe the payoff of a playoff at the end. But um, the one thing that this club did really well in building that squad that eventually won everything was they built a really good spine, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that spine was from, you can argue goalkeeper, depending on how you saw Alex Bono Klinner run at the time, your center backs between Moore and Mavinga, you know, Michael Bradley, Jonathan Osorio, Marco Delgado, that, that sort of three in the midfield, and then Seba and Josie, right? So you have this spine that was really good and I think there's a potential here in 23 to start to build that spine back, right? It just depends on where they're going with that center back spot, whether you use a DP slot. I'm not necessarily against using a, a DP slot on a center back. I just think if you're going to do that, you got to be sure you have to 100 because and it's, it's, it's a, it's a function of a dumb rule really in terms of how those, that those tags are placed on players. But I still think if you are going to spend that money, you got it. It's got to be locked down, right? It's got to be somebody you know is fit all the time, is truly a communicator and a top level defender. Um, to be to just just to take that scrutiny because Carlos Salcedo is a decent footballer, but I mean, in this team, he got exposed so many times. I mean, there's only so much you can do, right? Unless you're Virgil Van Dyke, right? Like essentially, like what how what is he going to do? Yeah. And, and I think one thing you touched upon was, was important, the communication in my head, uh, a center back is a bit of an older player, a bit of a mature player. And going back to that mentorship that I was talking about earlier, I think too, just being able to, to kind of communicate and have that, that um, uh, maturity in the back line, like right now, Mavinga is sort of like our longstanding player. He's the one who who defends the back. And, and I don't know if he's the right player to put all that pressure on. I don't think he's the one who's teaching that sort of next generation. I do think that that uh, center back spot has to be kind of like an older player who may not be, you know, at his fastest or at the top of his game. But that's OK, because I think the intelligence is more important than the play at that position. Okay. All right, so <laughs> I, I feel like Michael's like yeah, does not fair. agree with you. Whether uh, or not. <laughs> I, I, I said my piece. I, I still don't believe you get the best out of a DP in MLS. Um, it's been very rare where teams do get the best out of their DPs in MLS. And and I recognize that. That's why I wanted to preface it with, I know this may not work for MLS, but if I was building you know, my football manager team, that is yeah. where I would put my focus on. And yeah. unfortunately, yeah, you're I'm not wrong. Kind of get out of that mindset you're not, but you're not wrong by saying a uh, center backs arguably the most important 
piece of a soccer team. I, I just think just finish that, the sentence there. Just finish yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just think in, in MLS that like the way that roster construction rules are so funny and funky, and mm-hmm. I, I think that TFC are, can find a way to improve their back line without investing a DP spot in their center backs. Well, that and then that's sort of, and, and I'll move on from the point um, after this, but just the way that. MLS cup winning teams, teams that win supporter shields get built is generally you spend all that DP money on your attackers, your midfielders, et cetera. And then you build kind of a, either an MLS experience backline, or you find guys from, you know, central South America or Mexico on, on more team friendly deals that are solid players. They're not going to be spectacular. They're not going to make headlines. You know, they're not going to be the guys who put bums in seats but they're going to be the guys who are just solid pros. And that tends to be sort of the formula um, of how to do that. Seattle are a perfect example of that. Um, and I, I maybe that's the way TFC eventually go, um, but I also feel like could they surprise you with another DP center back? I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility if they find what they think is the right guy. Um, but again, like I said, sort of dumb MLS roster building rules uh, around DP tags kind of make it kind of, kind of cost slash, you know, prohibitive essentially to, to really spend in that position, um, in the way that I think it should be spent in. Um, so with that, I'll move from there. Um, in terms of, uh, you were at training on on Tuesday, my, any notes, uh, uh, that we should sort of that the, the fans should know about in terms of who was in training, how they've been training, any injuries to report? Yeah, no, I was, I was at training today. Um, the one, obviously, major thing was Bernadeski did train with the team today, which was eye-opening. But the team did say that it was just kind of load management because he just traveled to Toronto this week, and he was inside doing work on his own. So that's the one notable thing. Um, so uh, we will get an answer on both Bernadeschi and Insigne's status tomorrow afternoon. You guys will hear whether or not they will be available for Saturday's game. My hunch is that unless Bernadeschi suffered some sort of injury or, or knock or setback, is that both guys will be available in some capacity uh, for Saturday's match against Charlotte. So that part's um exciting for tfc fans the other injury i think everyone else was healthy except noble Akello and chris mavinga were training on their own as they both work back from injuries this is actually the most work i've seen noble do because uh, he's obviously been sidelined with like a lower leg injury for for months now and then the other one is uh is quinton westberg he wasn't training today which i believe he's picked up an injury so we'll see stay tuned for for that uh, if you come back on Friday, and this is not, of course not going to be your fault, but if you come back and say Bernadeschi picked up a knock, I believe Twitter will burn. <laughs> I, I believe they will too. <laughs> uh, if somehow you say, oh, he picked up a knock and he's going to miss uh, Saturday. Oof. Oof. That's all I'm going to say. Um, all right. Lastly, on the Michael Sig notebook section, just um, it, always get in today with transfer questions. Um, really, the, the I sort of distilled it to this one. You know, now that we kind of know that the DP spot will be not until January, um, Bill Manning did mention that they're still looking to potentially add. Um, do you think this is going to be more of an intra-league, another trade opportunity uh, to bring a, a, a potentially another player in? Uh, and they did point out the defensive side of things. Um, is there any Daniil Henry fans out there? I think I tweeted that. Uh, Mike, <laughs> Mike, Mike's the only one out there. That could be interesting if, uh, if those two find a way to kind of connect. And yeah, let's just say it would make sense for both parties if TFC found a way to bring in Daniil Henry. Well, look, I think that would be like the least shocking thing if that to me right like it just what what do you got to lose 13 games left you know yeah might as well you need the cover uh why not he needs um, he needs minutes he needs minutes 
he's probably going to come in at a at a decent number. Like he's not breaking the bank for you, right? Uh, you don't have Access to. Evil is asking when was the last time Daniel played club football? Um, this year he played for LAFC. LAFC. And... Yeah, but I think the I think his last game was in May. I think I think last time we got on the pitch was May, maybe early June. Perhaps, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey, this is the guy who played what five, six games for Canada during their World Cup qualifying run. Um, he's obviously a former TFC player. He's only twenty nine years old, and he's he knows the league. Obviously, with over a hundred games spent in Major League Soccer, the bar right now, TFC's back line is pretty low. <laughs> so I think any sort of support they can get there reinforcements that they can get there at a cost efficient clip i think is uh it's a no-brainer for both parties in my opinion and yeah we'll we'll see on that front we'll see what happens okay so they're not trading all the kids for walker zimmerman basically is what you're telling me (laughs) (laughs) i don't think that's in the cards yeah no i don't think so either all right awesome um all right let's uh let's get this show uh wrapped up here uh we'll go to the final segment of the show which is uh the tfc live hashtag tfc live three burning questions of the week we've got a few in here thank you for everybody uh who submitted questions a lot of them were transfer based so i tried to wrap a few of those into uh the notebook and a lot of them also were around sort of bernadeski fit into the team so that was sort of the first segment so uh thank you uh for everybody for sending those over to uh myself um but the first question here was an interesting one i kind of got asked uh, on uh, the tunnel club this week but i it's got asked again and it was kind of interesting i didn't get a really a straight answer um so i'd love to get your both of your thoughts on this why isn't Jaquiel Marshall Ruddy getting as many minutes as he did early on in the season? Uh, this is attributed to at TFC to go. There were a few other people that asked the question, so I amalgamated it into one question. But um, just in terms of JMR, obviously he was kind of penciled in as a starting right back, got injured, has come back from injury now, but not seeing as many minutes. Just you know, in terms of maybe Mike, what you're seeing in training, Sonny, just in terms of what you've seen on the pitch um, since he's been back, what do you think JMR is just not getting as many minutes as he was prior to his injury? Got to start, Sonia? Sure. I mean, obviously, Michael, you're going to have a little bit more insight on this for me, but just from, you know, a watching perspective, um, I think there's been a lot of rotation in general. I think that Bradley is not, I don't want to say he's trying to like, find the right combination because that's just not going to happen but it could also it it is sort of the idea that I think he's trying different combinations or it looks like he's trying different combinations from the stands and that maybe the combinations aren't necessarily working off the pitch either or on the training field Um, personally I thought he was a fine player nothing necessarily stand out but I don't know if if he fits with whatever Michael Bradley's overall or uh, Bob Bradley sorry uh, overall vision is but Michael you've probably have a lot more insight than that yeah i I think there's there's a couple things obviously when a young player especially of his stature goes through knee surgery um you want to ease that player back during that time kosi thompson's kind of emerged as a reliable piece in the back line now personally i think jmr is way better has way more upside um and i think should start over cozy but the thing that this team was missing was well we talk about defense and what cozy brings is he's he's a big kid he's he's strong he battles there's reliability there with jmr i think there would be a little bit more uh you don't have that physicality aspect with him and i think he could get be prone to being bullied in an already thin back line so i think that's also factoring in Another thing is the transfer interest around Jaquil is real. I don't know if he is a long-term solution at right back for Toronto FC. And regardless, I know people are going to say, well, don't you want to showcase him? It's still there. The transfer interest is still there. Big, big clubs are calling about Jaquil Marcioretti. And it might make more sense for the club to not only get that stability and reliability at a COSI right now, 
just building Kosi as potentially a a right back for this team in in the future. So uh, I think that's kind of the best way that I've interpreted the situation. I, I still think Jaquil, in my opinion, the team would be better off if Jaquil is starting every game for them. Okay, perfect. I have no personal thought on JMR, but other than the, other than the, yeah, I think Kosi's been playing a stretch of games. He's you know he's not everybody's favorite. I get that, but he's uh, he's been playing consistently. So you just keep rolling on with a player that's playing consistently. I think that's kind of the the main point. And you can get Jaquil when you in when you can get Jaquil in. Uh, second uh, question. And this goes back to something you were saying earlier, Sonia. That's why, again, I kind of want to put a button in it because I want to come back to this. Um, the question, should TFC be, be all in on the Canadian Championship, which is next week. The final is next week in Vancouver. Um, I think a lot of people have been seeing Vancouver post every kind of ticket promotion uh, possible uh, to get people out to BC Place. Um, so should they be pushing for the Canadian Championship or should they be all in on trying to get that final playoff spot at this point 13 games left we kind of talked about it earlier but where do you feel tfc should be um pushing their all their eggs in what basket mike i'll go with you first uh both can can i say both um no like i don't think so 2022 for me Again, as I mentioned, the regular season playoffs will be a consolation prize. I don't think the season is completely written off. But I do think with Charlotte coming up, and as you mentioned, Charlotte's uh, a good side, Mike, but I do still think that they can rotate their squad and still get three points against Charlotte and still have a squad that's strong enough to compete against Vancouver in the Canadian Championship. I, I think both can be accomplished. I do really believe that. If I had to pick one at this point in time, it's it's the Canadian Championship just because it benefits you more for 2023. And I think, again, that's what the club is kind of looking towards. Sonia? Yeah, I'm going to echo that. I think the Canadian Championship, I mean, I'm old school, right? Like, you, you play for the Cup. And I realize that, you know, playoffs also equal the Cup, but play for the cup that you're more likely to get. Uh, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I don't think that if we focus on one, the other one's completely out of the water. Um, It would be nice if we qualified, if we did pick that playoff spot. I think that would be pretty much a miracle of the season. I don't think people realize how difficult that's going to be at this point in time. Uh, So it would be a nice win. I don't think, I don't think they're going to get very far, unfortunately. Um, I do think just from a supporter perspective, the more home games we can play at BMO, the better it is for mentality, for positivity, uh, for our new players who just came in to, to kind of see that that fan base and to see, you know, what they're playing for. I, I mean, cliche, but I do think Toronto, when our stadium is full, we do have some of the best fans in the world. I, I think that is remain true. Um, so it would be just nice for them to see, like, how the city is supporting them. But, I mean, if you have a cup within reach go for it like put it all in for there and and then worry about playoffs afterwards because it, it is so close to that like I, I think both can be attainable yeah i would i would uh, i would tend to agree obviously one um you know the voyagers cup to me is incredibly important it's probably my favorite cup um and obviously it gets you in the champions league next year which i think this team would like to have sort of that full squad with insigne bernadeschi your third dp all the signings and moves that they've made, then debuting, uh, you know, in February of next year in the Champions League. That would be that would be nice. But I also think that if this team can make the run of runs and get into the playoffs, I can see this team riding a wave and and maybe not a cup final, right? Like, you know, if you think back in 2019, right, like they, they go off and they get one big win in Montreal and then away they go, right? They go unbeaten for almost the rest of the season up until the cup final, right? They don't lose again until the cup final. Um, if you can get on a wave like that, like you said, Sonia, I think BMO would be beyond electric. I think it would be on a level 
maybe close to 2017, but maybe even more than that, just because of where this team had been um, up until basically your two Italian saviors come in, right? And um, and then where they end up, you know, and once they make this run. So if they can, it would be amazing. I don't think they will, but uh, if they could make that run, go for it. Why not? Like, just get into that playoff spot. And once you're in an MLS, MLS Cup playoff, it's a one-off. Anything could happen at that point. So what's your answer? <laughs> My answer is you probably go for the Cup. <laughs> you go for the Cup. Uh, yeah, which, which may not actually um, satisfy everybody because, again, you may rest like in Sydney. You may not start them on Saturday, play them a few minutes on Saturday, and then start them in the Cup. Right? So it depends on how they want to uh, play that out. Uh, final question uh, for three burning questions this week is uh, from one at Brendan Dunlop. Uh, he asked, where is Michael Sim practicing his Italian? Because Duolingo isn't doing it for Brendan Dunlop. So, uh, Michael, uh, I'm going to give you the floor. Uh, can you give <laughs> us a, a sentence in Italian? Um, and- <laughs> no chance. My Italian is terrible. I, I've even been to Italy. I traveled there actually when I was younger for, for a soccer tournament, believe it or not. And we spent, me and my family stayed back a little bit longer. We spent like three weeks. So if you asked me then, I would be able to go up and order like a gelato from a counter in Italian. But I have lost that. It's been so bad. And I got to shout out actually the team interpreter because I watch her do her job where she's translating for these guys. And I'm like, I don't know. Cause sometimes the sentences go on for like over a minute. And you're like, how the heck do you keep track of of what they're saying? To be honest, you could be you could be completely lying to me. Like they could have came in, they said, "Man, this these fans suck. I can't believe I'm getting such a poor reception in Italian." <laughs> can't she believe it off and just be on? like, "Yeah, you know, the TFC fans are the best in the world. I'm so happy to be here." I would not know if you're telling the truth or lying. So I keep telling her she's doing a good job, but to be honest, I don't actually know if she's doing a good job. It just she she makes what's apparently difficult look really easy. So I got to give a shout out to her because we'd obviously be lost without her. I feel like John Molnar would tell you if like if they're kind of like BSing you. No. J- so JMO can understand a little bit of Italian, or he can understand Italian a pretty decent amount, but he, he can't speak it. So I don't know if I trust JMO as a source, man. JMO, if you're watching this, <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> All right, awesome. Um, uh, well, we'll we'll wrap up there. Um, thank you, everybody, uh, for listening to this week's episode of Toronto I Die. Um, we'll be back on our usual time Monday at 3 p.m. next week. Uh, listen to myself, Sean Levy, uh, at the Tunnel Club. Uh, we'll have our day after show on Sunday. Um, I'm hoping to get out to the game on Saturday. I may actually not, uh, but I will, uh, if I can, I'll definitely be watching on television. Um, follow Michael Singh at Michael Singh 94 on Twitter. Um, thank you, Sonia, for coming in uh, and, uh, yeah, and doing a great you. job on the show. Uh, you can follow her at uh, Sonia, Sonia Miso. Uh, again, uh, Sonia, thanks so much uh, for jumping in today. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be a ringer anytime. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, other than that, guys, uh, enjoy the weekend. Hopefully it's a, uh, it's a three points uh, in the bag. Uh, hopefully you get all your Insigne and Bernadeschi uh, dreams fulfilled um, at BMO field. Other than that guys, take care. Talk to you next time. And wait, and wait, and baby, I'm TFC till I die.